Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Beats. I am your host, Kelly Kennedy, and I am very fortunate to be able to share my tribe as I travel across the globe and meet incredible scientists and doctors and all sorts of practitioners and continue to expand that tribe to help engage and encourage and empower you to learn how your body really works. Because what we know from our heart to yours is that you have all the innate wisdom inside you to heal and that our job is now naturally oriented therapists, medically enlightened doctors and specialists available here at Not Meds Global. The Beats podcast is about helping you understand that you have that power inside and what you need to do to help engage it, to constantly upregulate your ecosystem. Thank you so much for being part of our community. If this resonates with you, please go ahead and share this episode. We are always open to your comments and your questions as always. And welcome back to this week's episode of The Beats. Welcome back to The Beats and From Our Heart to Yours. Today, this is a subject that uh, Ayn and I both feel very, very um, present to. And I was very blessed to meet Maria Farner. And I probably botched up her last name, but she'll do it. No, I did it pretty good. Okay, good. Um, about a month ago, she attended our female frequency upgrade retreat, her and her lovely daughter. And I had no idea what kind of work they did really. And as I got to get to know her and her daughter, it was pretty evident one incredible communication they had together and connection. And then it made a lot of sense as to the work she does. So what Maria does is help people with conscious parenting. She's got two websites and Instagram handles called The Moms I Know and the future of family. And so I've asked Maria to come on today to talk briefly about the work she does and how that relates so much to the work that we talk about all the time on the beat. So welcome Maria, and thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting to be talking about this concept of parenting from this perspective of global health. And so really, and also the fact that you brought up my daughter and I and the communication there. And this is something that obviously I've spent my life's work with not just my own children, but with the families that I've worked with over 30, 40 years now and helping people see that every choice they make has an effect on not only ourselves, but on the future generations. And so, you know, as you well know, we're dealing with a whole society of people who are still dealing with dis-ease and so what I find is that, and you know, I think the current studies are that 80% of our disease is stemming from emotional components. And so if the idea is, if we can work on our own inner child stuff, either before we have children or as, we ha- as we're raising our children or as we're guiding our children, we can hopefully work towards a healthier overall society. And so... Now my daughter is grown. She has children of her own. And so we are in community together, you know, looking at this whole intergenerational component as well. I'm really grateful to have had a lovely childhood in general. So there were a lot of wise women in my family that I was able to learn from and that were there to support me. But I also, there were things along the way that, you know, that weren't great communication 
as well. And so, you know, we all have our stuff growing up. But what happened for me is that I was really attuned to my own feelings around that. And then as I grew and as I became a mother myself, I really wanted to make sure that we were having very open lines of communication so that these emotions would not be stifled, but that I could work with my children to help them unfold into exactly who they are supposed to be. And so my work as a parent guide, as a family wellness coach, I've been in education for 30 years, working with families within a public school paradigm, but a very alternative situation, but also working with families independently, trying to help moms and dads understand that the choices that they make really are so profound and that every choice we make is going to have an effect in some way on us, on our children, on the family dynamics. And so if we can be more conscious around those choices, hopefully this next generation is going to have better tools, better understanding of their emotions so that we're not holding on to all of these things. And then, like I said, they can, they can go, go forth and fulfill their potential and we can create a world where that communication, where that energy flow is, is unencumbered, should we say. And, and you have a master's in um, education leadership, right? Mm -hmm. As well as yes. uh, early childhood development. So what, what stood out for me, it's beautiful work you're doing and so necessary for, you know, it's not just about, oh, I had a kid and now I let the nanny take care of him or the, the preschool or whatever. And I've struggled with that. Trust me. I mean, those that know me well, know me well enough to know that um, I don't babysit um, and I don't expect my husband to babysit. And we are trying to cultivate our child. And that is a full-time job that I was completely a, a, like, I thought, oh, I did the hard part. I had the baby and I can feed them. That's it. Is that all I have to do? And there's so much more to it. But I'm curious about your approach or your understanding of the school systems, because you mentioned that your work was done in 30 years, a lot of it in an alternative school. So that piqued my interest right away because I was a, what we didn't talk about on our last podcast in regards to my story is while I was a science major, I was an edu education minor because I know that after we help fix medicine, we have to go help fix education. So tell me your approach about that and your understanding of that and how that's helping or taking away perhaps from having resilient children that thrive. Oh, I love that question. So my background is in is early childhood education and elementary education, and then I have my master's. And so I've worked with children from you know birth through the teen years and beyond with my own children, obviously. And so I started an alternative education program within our local public school. And it was around homeschooling or independent study that I've been within that public school realm. And also I've homeschooled my own children and I have also sent my children to the local Waldorf school. And so I've also studied Waldorf education. And so I've been working with all of these parents for these decades around not only issues like sleep and nutrition and rhythm and all and you know, communication, but also the education systems. And 
there is no one right way. I mean, we've, we've seen this and every family, I truly respect parents' decisions around how they are going to educate their children. You know, they come into the world, we are their first teacher, we're not their only teacher. And everybody has to make that choice for themselves. That said, I feel that we can really tune into our children and see what their needs are. And my journey started with, you know, my background was traditional education. I had two aunts that were elementary school teachers. And then when it came time for my own kids, my oldest, it was not going to work for him. So he was my teacher. He said, this is not working for me in no uncertain terms. And that started our whole journey into an alternative method or mode or way of looking at education. And so I had to follow his lead in some ways, but also really tapping into my inner child, his inner child. And of course it brought up all kinds of things for me around my childhood and education, and then looking at him as an individual. And so this started this path of working with families to help support them around their children's educational needs. So, you know, that, that has been more my professional journey is really trying to help parents understand that. And to see that there is no one size fits all. Sheila and I in our podcast talk often about the dance of family life, the, the whole unfolding of it. And it's going to be different for every child. It's going to be different at different stages. What may work for one child at a certain age may not work for another. And so we really have to be in that stage of consciousness with our children and be listening sometimes between the lines, because what they are saying is not always what they're feeling and helping them to express that. And at different ages, obviously, when they're very young, they can't express what it is that they're feeling, but we can see that they have big emotions around something. And so we have to really tap in. And like I said, that's that inner child work that we have to do to make sure we're not just getting triggered around all of our stuff, but mm -hmm. that it's truly coming from this pure intention and listening to the child. And then as the adult having to make decisions around that, but not for our benefit, but for theirs. And so I talk with parents often about looking through the child's eyes, trying to go back to our own perspective on this, but then realizing that, you know, our children are, they come from us, but they are not ours. And so that's a little bit of a Khalil Gibran take there. Well, I think that's so well said. And so, you know, this one size fits all for education, for nutrition, for schooling, for medicine is just a model that is, is not supportive to the individual organism because we are so individual. And I have two brothers, very different from one to the next to the next. While we might have some similarities, sure, of course, but we don't learn the same. Like, it's amazing to me often when I, when we talk about different you know, um, memories from our past that I, I like, oh, how was that vacation for you? Completely different perceptions. We got all got something out. Same with schooling. Like we all went to the same schools and yet my one brother struggled. My other brother did very well. I kind of was in the middle. Yeah. I'm the one that excelled more from an educational standpoint, perhaps in wanting to never end my learning 
like always a, a student forever and ever. Not that my brothers aren't successful in what they do. And, and both of my brothers actually learn all the, like read and, and do different things all the time. My mother was a librarian. She instilled that into us that you can learn anything. You just have to read it. And it's just so interesting to watch and how my cousins are different than us, but we spent majority of our time together and it's just beyond interesting to me. It's like twins, you know, if you split them up in a family in two different families and raise them differently, genetically the same profiles, very different outcomes depending upon, depending upon the environment in which they they're exposed to. And this whole education of like, everybody has to sit at a desk and they've got to have five subjects and they've got to do that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then everybody's got to take a lunch break at noon. And this is the food that they're going to eat. And then they've got to ask permission to go to the bathroom. And like, I watched my son struggle through that until this year, we changed his platform and he, every day, house school prior to this year, it was fine. Never got a word out of him. And always couldn't wait for the parent teacher conference to be like, so what's really going on? Cause I get no information whatsoever. How's he doing? I have no idea. And now this new platform where there's no desks, he's outside a lot. It's student oriented. He came up with a PowerPoint about the American Indians that he's working on right now. And I'm looking at, it, he's reading it and I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, there's like 400 words spelled wrong and four slides, but the layout, the storyline, all that stuff. They're like, he'll, and they're right. Don't fix it. And watching him has been so amazing. And he brought it home. There's no homework in the school. He's brought home three projects already this year. And it's November when we're recording this in two months that he wants to continue to work on after school that they've engaged his own desire, which is the best part. Right. Because it's meaningful and relevant to him and it's process, not product. And, you know, we have an education system in this country that is, you know, we're obviously seeing it failing and we're watching the, the, the pains that we're going through the medical system, the education system, so many other systems. And I think that this is such an opportunity for us to look at this and say, okay, this is not working. How do we, and, and as parents, we can just look at our own children, but we can also talk about this paradigm and say, this is what we could look at. These are different choices we can make. And it sounds like you made a choice to change that. And now you're watching and seeing this unfold because when education is meaningful and relevant to children, they will thrive. And whether that's public school, private school, homeschool, outdoor school, you know, whatever. I mean, there's so many possibilities right now. And so I really think that we need to embrace that and to really look at our children. I mean, there was a point where my son was being homeschooled and my daughter was in the Waldorf school. There were other years where one was doing independent study and one was study abroad. I mean, you know, we've, we've had to look at things at different stages. There are different people at those stages. And so again, always coming back to what are the children's needs what are they going through and what is going to be the best fit? And so I don't have the answers for parents. You know, I could tell parents, well, this is how I did it for this child. And this is this, and this is what I think might work, but each family has to come up with that on their own. And so when we make choices, whether it's around sleep or family rhythm or education or any of these things, we have to make them looking at what's best for that individual child. And, you know, we could also talk about, you know, boundaries and we could talk about 
uh, family rituals and rites of passage. I mean, there's so many different ways of looking at this. And so when I'm working with families, I'm talking about the inner child work that they need to do. You know, it's like, oh, it all comes back to me. You know, I remember when my children were young and I was struggling with different things and then wise mentors guided me to look at my own stuff. And why is that triggering you? And what's going on here? And so, you know, that that's so important. The communication, the relationships that we have with our significant others, with the extended family, with the community that is involved with the child. That's so important. Simplifying. Our pace of life is so crazy right now. If we can simplify these little nervous systems of these children are being so overtaxed right now with mm -hmm. just our pace of life. And if we can just pull back and simplify so often that that can be the answer right there and really finding rhythms that work for our children. And then, you know, I could go on and on with, you know, nutrition and sleep and postpartum uh, support. And yeah, there's so many different things that we can be looking at. I love, you know, talking about rites of passage as well for children as they grow and then fostering senses of gratitude, generosity, you know, getting children out in nature. I mean, there's so much around family life that is, that can be, uh, improved, I think, would, but but again, it's going to be different for every family. It's going to be different because of family background and where you live and what's going on and our own stuff. And it seems like the point of your work is really to bring a consciousness to not fall into habits and rhythms and patterns that might not be supportive. You know, like how they raised my older brother versus my middle brother versus me is very different. And at the time when I was growing up, was like you love Michael more than Patrick and you love Patrick more than me and you love this one and it was just we were all different and my parents had learned I'm sure along the way of how to you know curb uh different behaviors um in a in a different way from one child to the next and there were so many years between my older brothers and myself that by the time I came along they were different people and I perceived that at one way then in a very different way, I perceive that now. And I hear this from Silas all the time. Well, this family allows them to do that. And, you know, well, that's not us. Right. And so, but I think more than anything, your point is, and correct me where I'm wrong, Maria, but it's about consciousness. It's about having the feelings, the conversations and the awareness to go, well, just because because I went to that school for eight years and then this other school for four years and then this college, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the right path for my offspring. Mm -hmm. That you know, Some might wanna go into dance and some might wanna go into road scholar and, and one might wanna you know, be a hairdresser and all of them are important because if that's also, well. Right, it's about, you know, like all of us as adults, we want to be seen, honored and heard you know, seen, heard, and honored for who we are. Our children are no different. And so if we can really see them, hear them, honor them for who they are, because, you know, we don't know what their destiny is. We have no idea what this is all going to unfold into. We, we are here to support them. We're here to love them. We're here to guide them. We, Sheila and I, my colleague and I talk a lot about family culture. And that family culture is those decisions that we make around rhythms, activities, the things that are important to us, the family background, all of that plays in to who we become. But, you know, there's the nature versus nurture argument that, you know, people are still going on about today. And of course, we come into the world with a set 
genetic makeup, but the environment, and you talked about the twins, is, is so huge. And it's a big responsibility to become parents. And also none of us have the guidebook, the answers, you know, and I don't know, I haven't met an adult yet who says they had the perfect childhood. And, you know, when talking with my own children and, and then seeing countless numbers of other families, we're just trying to figure it out. And it's a dance, it's an unfolding, but, and none of us are perfect. I mean, oh goodness, you know, it's like so many mistakes that we make along the way, but if our children see us striving, and I think you and I have talked about that a little bit too, our children are here to help, you know, be our greatest teachers. If they can see us striving and working towards changing some behaviors or looking at behaviors, and, you know, all of this comes back to that, that nervous system, that genetic makeup, and then the, the things that affect us in our childhood. And then we could talk about trauma and we see what a huge effect that trauma has on us as human beings. And so if we can work with trauma in different ways and look at the energy around that and help support that in a more wholesome way, instead of denying it, we can really make some huge growth here, I think, as a human species. So what would you and your estimate say are the top three things maybe, and I'm just you know, putting you on the spot, but what are the top three things that you see when all the work of 30 years that you've done that are simple, like you speak about rhythms, for instance, you know, simple ways that we can take actionable steps to make steps towards more conscious parenting after this podcast today? So I think the most important thing is looking at that family rhythm right now. And so, you know, simplifying, because what I have seen over the last 30 years of working with families is the pace has just gotten faster and faster and faster. And so when we look back 100 years, 150 years, the pace of life was so different. And the human being was designed, I think, you know, to walk, to be on the earth, to be out in nature. And we are now so far from that. So I think the number one thing I would say is to just slow down. Of course, we need to look at nutrition and sleep and all of those kinds of things because we're seeing that, you know, such a breakdown of our health globally. And so, of course, those are hugely important. But I think that if we can just take that time to really simplify our lives and to slow down a little bit, then we have the space to consciously look at the decisions that we're making around those things. So um, rhythm. Give a real life example of rhythm. So, you know, I'm a mom, I've got three kids. I work full time, my husband works full time. We don't have a nanny. We don't have family that lives here. Let's say I don't have three kids. So I wanna make sure that everybody knows that I'm just playing imagination game and I'm not asking the universe for that. Just so we're clear universe. Um, so let's just say a woman like that, that is listening. What do you mean by the rhythm? Like, you know, well, you know, cause just being, you know, the advocate on the other side for them, well, Maria, you know, I mean, I, I have so many balls up in the air and I, I can't drop any of them. If I, when you mean slow down, like, what does that mean? I, the dishes have to be done and the laundry has to be done. And we've got to get the kids to the, all the sporting events and we have vacation to hit this year. And if I don't work, you know, 40 hours a week, 50 weeks out of the year, then we can't take those two weeks off. Tell me about how that can change because so many people listening to this are like, I don't know how I get out of this. Right. So that's where, even if you could take five minutes in the day 
to just consciously take some deep breaths, to breathe, to meditate, to think about if I could only change one tiny thing. You, you talked about like the activities. Could we let go of one activity? Could we, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, that everybody just has to be home with their children and, and baking bread from scratch. I'm saying, you know, if we are, yeah, if we are working full time, is the time that we have with our children, are we being present with them? Are they in situations with other people when we are doing other things where they are being heard, seen, and honored for who they are? Is our daily rhythm a rhythm of, you know, breathing in, breathing out, different types of activities? And a good educational system will be looking at those things. So if our children are in situations during the day that we feel are very healthy and wholesome for them, then that's wonderful. Then if we're not going to the grocery store at 5.30 when everybody is tired, cranky, and hungry, um, that would be something to consciously think about. Can we shop on one day a week? Can we plan a tiny little bit ahead? Can we think about getting to bed 20 minutes earlier or 10 minutes earlier? Can we look at some of the choices that we're making after dinner? And one of the families that I was working with, we talked about letting go of the television. And she said that one tiny, the television broke and they just didn't fix it. And so she, she said that one tiny little thing changed everything that after dinner, they would go for walks as a family and have family time. So, you know, it's, it's looking at one tiny thing that you can change. Is there, you know, is your child taking three classes after school? Could we simplify that? Could we add in one bit of family time on the weekend? And so again, every family is going to be different and what different people thrive with is going to be uh, different as well. And so, you know, in a family where there's that busy pace of life, one child might thrive with that. Another child may need a little bit more lead time before they head out the door. They're going to need to just have a heads up to have five extra minutes to tie their shoelaces to do something. And so, you know, it is, it's a challenge. And I work with families every day that are dealing with these challenges. So I'm getting to play a little bit of the, the child advocate here saying, is there even one thing that you can do to slow down? Is there one thing you can let go of? And if not, when you have that time with your children, are you being completely present? Yeah, and I, I, I have seen that in my life. Like I'm the kind of person, and you know, this is an ongoing joke, right? Between so many married couples, he says, "I'm ready to go." She goes, "Oh, me too." And then 30 minutes later, she's actually ready to walk out the door. I've changed that drastically. I mean, I and my argue, but. Um, now, when I say I'm going to be ready, I wait until I'm ready to put my shoes on to like say I'm out the door. And what we've learned is that my kid is more like my husband, where he needs to know 30 minutes before bedtime, 30 minutes before we're leaving, 30 minutes, because he's got like I do, like he, he doesn't like to be late. He doesn't want to be rushed. So he's got a little bit of me in him, but um, well, the being late is his dad, the not being rushed is me. And so when Ian wants to leave, he's got to tell both of us 30 minutes in advance so we can prepare, so we yeah. can get done what we want done so that we're not all standing at the door yelling at Silas going, come on, we have to go. It's time to go. You knew school was going to have, 
Well, he's not aware of time. It's the morning he's doing, he's drawing, he's doing whatever. And I think that's so key to like, know your kid and also know that I have changed, things have changed throughout the eight years that he's been alive in regards to our life and our pace. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I travel, I don't remember if it's this or that podcast, but I travel a lot now and I didn't travel for the first four or five years of his life as much as I do the last three to four years. And I've had to come up with ways for him and I to connect when I'm on the road rather than just, oh, I'll see him when I get home or I'll do the obligatory night call or the obligatory morning call. It's like, I always find ways to let him know I'm thinking about him because I'm not physically with him. And when I'm home, it's a little different then. Like I try to get him off that darn television and, and playing a board game or cards or something like that, at least a couple of nights a week for him and I to connect. And I have to also give in to he's old enough now he doesn't need my time like he probably did but I need my time with him and I got to put my phone on and I got to get off the computer and I got to stop the emailing to spend those 20 30 minutes with him because that's going to make a huge indent into our building our relationship and continuing our communication even if it ends up like the other day with Monopoly he literally got up and walked away from the game because he didn't want to pay me for one of the, the things that he landed on to pay me rent and was literally like, I gave, and he was collecting $200. Cause he picked up one of those, you know, cards it was like collect $200 pass go. And then he landed on my property and he owed me 25 and he could not conceptualize it. He was still up 175 bucks. Right. Right. And, and it literally walked away, but you know what? It allowed for a deeper conversation allowed for all this other stuff for us to be conscious about what that was. So the next night when it was a new game time, he was like, well, it can't be a monopoly. I'm like, right. okay, if you lose, you still got to deal with it. Like mom's not going to let you just win. And, and this is, you know, big well, life lessons. Yeah. Teachable moments too. And, you know, just this whole concept too, that your children are incredibly resilient. They don't need us to be hovering. They don't need us there all the time but they need us to be there when they need us and they need our presence when they need it. And so, you know, there's all these types of ways that we can fit those into our days and you've come up with brilliant ways. And I traveled a bit when my children were young too. And it was an opportunity for, you know, my husband to step forward a little bit more for them to deepen their relationship with him. And if they were with other caregivers or if they were in school, they were getting gifts from other people as well. It's just, being conscious about those decisions and saying, you know, I have to look at what is going to be best for this child at this particular time and knowing that we all make mistakes and, you know, we have to go back and think about all of those things. And when we lose it or we make a decision that isn't great, that we can come back and acknowledge that and say, I'm learning and have that conversation with our children when it's appropriate and move forward and they learn from our example and so for us to be human for them to be in their little emotions and their big emotions and for us to help them make sense of all of that so it's it's a journey and again it's there's so many different ways of coming about it but if we can do it with intention then our children are hopefully going to be able to thrive they're going to be able to manage their thoughts their feelings their emotions we're going to be able to make choices that are healthier for all of us including the whole family as a, as a whole, and then society as well. 
So I want to ask you the big secret question, but before I do, I have to, I'm I have to tell you this story because you're going to just love it. So I've been traveling a lot, and um, my my son loves comedy. And as I was saying earlier, that he's very much a dichotomy of our of my husband and I, like which which we are a dichotomy, and and Silas is a good mix of the two of us. I am a very social person. I like to go to parties. I like to talk to people. Ian is can I sit in silence for an hour a day and read some books and go see clients and then be home with a family? And that's it. Like so different. The one thing that we've always connected about that I would say is a common thread with Ian and I, we love comedians. We love to laugh. We love comedy and Silas as well. I mean, he's been listening inappropriately to Jeff Dunham, the puppet guy who definitely is not G rated and, but also G rated like Brian Regan, for instance. And so Silas will often like engage five or six adults when we're out at different events and tell a story, which is a comedy show of Brian Regan's. He's memorized a lot of his stuff and we're blown away that he can do that and hold everybody's attention and, and not go well all the time. So anyway, two days, two days ago, yesterday, yesterday morning, I and I were like, God, it'd be great to get him on a live comedy show. It'd be great to see if Brian Regan's doing any live shows. Sure enough, I does some research and he's going to be 45 minutes from our house in December. So I'm like, at this point in my life, I want front row tickets or I'm not playing because that's how you experience really life is front row or, or no go kind of thing. So I managed to get the front row tickets and all of a sudden I'm aware as I'm buying them that I'm not going to be there. I have to be at this other event that I'm already scheduled to be at. And there's a little part of me that was like, oh, they can't go. There's not, they're not going if I can't go because I want to be there when he experiences this and pees himself from laughing so hard and holding his cheeks from laughing so hard. I want to see that. I want to be a part of it. And the reality is, and this was very much a raw moment of my husband and son spend way more time together than I do. And I get to experience a lot of life that they don't with all the different travel that I do and all the different people I meet. And this is an opportunity for them to have something very special between them that I'm not a part of rather than the routine of them just doing life. And so we purchased those tickets and told Silas last night. And I kept saying to him, I'm so excited for you and a little bit jealous. I'm so excited, but I'm jealous that, well, one, that I don't get to go to a live comedy show, but bigger is that I don't get to see his face and go through all that. And you know what he said to me? Mom, we can just go to our own comedy show later and I'll pretend that it's the first time I've ever gone. How beautiful. And he definitely knows well enough to know that my heartstrings are going to be played the whole time in Austin that he's doing that. But that is enough for me to go, okay, we'll just yeah. play pretend game when I come home and we'll go to a different comedy show and he can just pretend the whole time. It's the first time. And he will, he's a tr true actor, yeah. but he's giving me what I need and I'm giving him what he needs. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. the family's getting everything out of it. They need, I feel good that they're doing something when I'm not home. That's really special. Instead of just the daily routines, everybody wins when you can stay in the flow state. And yet I have to be aware of my feelings through that. And there's a part of him that said, well, I'm sad you're not going to be there too, but I know that when we do it, it'll be just as much fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I mean, how wise for an eight-year-old to realize that, but that's the work that you have done up to this point of helping him to express his emotions for, for him to you know, be able to feel them and articulate them. But you know, this huge thing speaks to this idea as parents of letting go. You know, we can't control, or we think we can control things, but we ultimately can't. And so we have to let go and we have to, as mature adults, or at least as working towards mature adults, be able to say, I'm happy for you. Or when, when hard things happen that we have no control over, and I've had to deal with a lot of those with my own children and, and just be there for them and say, I hear you. Right. I, can't, I can't change what has happened, but I can hear you. And so, you know, listening to our children, I think is so key. Well, you're a very wise woman and I can see why people want to work with you. And, you know, just for people to know that she does have her own podcast as well called the moms I know com, um, But you can also work with her. She's got different programs for families, for counseling, and that can be done all via video chats, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Great. All online right now. Yep. And that is uh, the future of family, right? Mm -hmm. Futureoffamily.com. And we'll have all that in the show notes. So now for the big question, I know I've taken you a little bit longer, but this is, I don't want to cut this short. So you have an opportunity to take a microphone and speak to all 7.6 billion people that are on the earth right now. And um, if you could give them the secret that you've learned that they will cut shortcut their ability to have to experience so much and just kind of get to the point, what is the secret, the point you want everybody to know that would have saved you time and energy to get to where you are now with this conscious parenting and being able to help so many others on that path to live a healthy, thriving life. Oh, in a nutshell? Yeah, in a <laughs> nutshell, Maria, just like drop the bomb. I think that basically the what I want every parent to hear is to just drop down into their heart, listen to their heart to their inner wisdom, because it's there. We all know we have the answers, but we just have to tap into that. And then also to do that with our children, to tap into them and their heart and to listen. And I think that if we can do that, if we can truly do that, then all of the other answers will come. That's beautifully said. And I have nothing left to add because it's truly from our heart to yours sink in, dive in, feel, know. Thank you so much for all the work you do. Is there any other message you want to give out to everybody? Oh, just take care, everyone. It's a challenging time out there. Be gentle with yourselves and with your families and just be in this state of love and flow. And thank you so much for having me on your show, Kelly. Absolutely, Maria. And thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Beats. And if it does resonate with you, please feel free to share it. And as always, we love your comments. We appreciate your time with us. We know time is very valuable these days, as it always has been, but we're now more conscious of it. And now you two can be more conscious from your heart after listening to this podcast today with Maria. Thank you so much. Take care. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us and spending your time here with us at The Beats with your host, Kelly Kennedy. And I know today more than ever before, you now know better how your body works.
And at the very least, we hope we've helped you raise some questions and help you continue to investigate. We are here to help you naturally optimize a better version and vision of yourself on every single level. And after today, you can better engage your innate intelligence and allow for proper regulation and proper regeneration. Make sure to subscribe to never meet, miss a beat again. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. And just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice or professional advice and care by your doctor or other qualified medical professionals. This podcast is created with the intention to provide information and education. This podcast is created with the understanding that does not constitute professional advice or medical services. If you are looking for help in your journey and seek a qualified medical practitioner, or if you're looking for a biological, not meds practitioner, we can help you. Someone who's trained and a licensed health coach and someone that can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health. That's what not meds mission is about. I hope you have enjoyed listening again to this podcast. It's one of my favorite things to do. And if you do, please feel free to share it with your friends, your colleagues, uh, for the tips of living the biological foundational life and living in the flow. And if you have been listening and love the show, please do leave comments. We love reading your comments. We really do. And you can subscribe to us wherever you hear your podcast. Thank you so much from our heart to yours. Mm -hmm.